Yeah, so I thought I was going to die when I first got diagnosed and I thought I was going to die when it came back in July. Mm. Um, what was that feeling like? That's really scary, particularly when it's like you wonder... Again, like you become very outward looking and I was just thinking, how would my parents handle my death? How would my partner handle my death? Mm. To be honest, like it's an art of road you want to go down or think about. That's Michael Schaefer. He's a glass half full kind of guy who's such a good comedian, he's been able to make his own harrowing battle with cancer funny. If I can make cancer funny, I don't really feel like anything else should be that hard. In 2017, Michael was busy making his mark as a stand-up comic when he made the costly decision to ignore one of his testicles growing to more than double the size of the other. I think it would have been, you know, maybe probably four times bigger than my left one. By the time he went to the doctor, the testicular cancer had already spread throughout his body and he was only given a 50% chance of making it. We did like a CT scan probably on a Monday or something and that showed that it had spread all throughout my abdomen and chest. Fuck. So I had tumours, I had like 100 tumours just in my lungs. But he was determined to make the most of that chance and never stopped performing throughout the gruelling rounds of chemo. Out of hospital and going out and doing gigs. Comedy gives him purpose and surviving cancer has given him plenty of material. Michael's been in and out of remission and still isn't totally out of the woods, but he's not letting that hold him back. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. When was the first time that you thought something might be wrong with your junk? Great question. Uh, I, I like how you asked the question that I demanded you ask that's first. What we're here. That's what we're here for. Straight for the bowls. Uh, well, I'm Jewish, so I've got, I was circumcised when I was like eight days old. So I guess that was probably the first time where I was like... Very direct. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then I mean, I had testicular cancer, so... Probably the first time I thought there was something wrong would have been like maybe March 2017. But I didn't end up going to a doctor until like probably, I think it was October 2017. So why did you think there was something wrong? Uh, my right ball was getting big, basically. Mm. And it was just bigger than my left one. Yeah. So why'd you ignore it? Because I am a man. Yeah. <laughs> and I just assume everything's going to be fine. Mm. And I was 26. Like I didn't really thought about my health in any serious way yep. until you know then so i just assumed it'd be fine and i was right it and was, was all fine well, was there <laughs> was there was there pain as well and discomfort no yeah so that was one of the reasons why i guess i probably waited so long was because i just assumed like if it was cancer or something serious like i'd be pissing blood like i'd be in pain like yeah i just thought like there'd be like those really obvious signs yeah you just but, thought i'm just getting a bit of extra nut growth yeah yeah, yeah. i just thought <laughs> it must comes with age just going through a growth spurt you know <laughs> you hear about old men their balls falling yeah, down yeah. and anyway i i think i just assumed it was going to be more like in your face if yeah. you had cancer like you would know for like you sure. wouldn't be able to ignore it sort of a thing exactly but i was like well like i've been ignoring it and getting by so it can't be that serious uh -huh. that was kind of like my view yeah and then interestingly enough i saw uh, lance armstrong's doco um and he kind of said the same thing like he didn't go to the hospital or go to the doctor until he started coughing up blood mm. you know so yeah men like to wait till the last <laughs> possible moment to pull up i feel like yeah even with me if i was coughing up blood i'd be like oh, i'll give it a few days it's and like, i could clears. be related but maybe i just drank too much right. yeah so, and, I, so how big did it get i think i mean 
I don't know exact numbers, but I didn't expect you that you measured it. But like. <laughs> well, they actually. Do you know what though? They well, because I had it removed, and so obviously they measured it when they removed it. Yeah, I can't remember the exact. And you're like, that's one of the biggest you've ever seen. <laughs> I'll be like, I'm going to put that on the wall. Actually, can I keep it? I want to. They got a wall. Have they got a wall of nuts up there. They should have a wall, shouldn't they? The Hall of Fame. <laughs> the Ball of Fame. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been, you know, maybe probably four times bigger than my left one maybe let's say right but you know, the thing also is that because my right ball had always been bigger than my left yeah a bit i thought oh maybe has it always been like that i don't know i think i deluded myself yeah and so time. your brain sort of plays tricks on you where you think you try to justify to yourself 100 percent. i spent know? months oh just being no like it was always like kind of that big it might be it's like a little bit bigger but actually it was like so so much bigger. so much bigger yeah. yeah but i guess you had a lot going on with your life at that time you didn't really have time to have testicular cancer i was flat out did not have time for cancer at all yeah. Uh, had to make time for it, but um, yeah, like I was—I just got on a gig writing like for the project on Channel Ten, uh, which I still do a bit, which is nice. Um, but I was doing that full time, and I was like doing my first show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and kind of touring it around. Yeah, so, you had, had shit going on. But. Yeah, I was pretty flat out. Um, yeah, and then and it's crazy to me that I was doing all that stuff and dying from cancer at the same time. Mm. I was pretty, I was actually kind of it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty impressed about. I'm how sure I could the, the doctors would have been impressed as well. <laughs> the doctors like this guy. I mean, he's he's struggling, but I tell you what, he's getting through it. And when they saw like this, because I'm assuming you eventually went to the doctor mm. in October and October. showed them the size of your nut, and they were like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, well, my doctor, uh, he kind of looked at it straight away and was like, okay, well, we're sending you obviously for an ultrasound and a blood test. And yeah, um, yeah, I think he kind of knew straight away it was cancer, but you know, you do the test obviously to confirm it. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it was a Friday, went to the doctor Friday morning, and then, you know, a couple of hours later, I was told I had cancer. Mm. And so, what do you remember from how that went when you were diagnosed and how it felt to get hit with that? Was it something that you sort of had an inkling in the back of your mind you didn't want to, that you didn't want to face up to, or what was it like? Um, it's kind of very surreal when you get the diagnosis. I remember I was watching like the news at the time, and you get a call from the doctor, and then he's like, "You've got cancer. You should come in and see me tomorrow." And then like that's the end of the phone call, and then like the news is still playing. Like it's uh, all very, it's just very surreal. So is it? It's not even face to face. It's just. On I the got phone. told over the phone. Okay. Yeah, right. but to be honest, like. You know, yeah. I'm, I don't think it would have made a difference no. <laughs> to whether it was face-to-face yeah. -face or over the phone. Um, yeah, so he called me and that's how I found out. And it's, yeah, it takes a while to process that. The first few days, it's just real kind of, um, you don't even know what's going on. Was it emotional or were you sort of, did you feel empty from it? Certainly emotional, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like the hardest thing is, of course, I had to tell my partner, Amanda, who we've been together for over 10 years. That's, you know, probably the hardest conversation I've had to have and then my parents were overseas in Spain at the time on holiday they'd yeah, been like, ruin their holiday completely ruin their holiday yeah. um, so you know those are the, probably the hardest but things. you're already worried about other people so more so than yourself even in those two examples interestingly so. yeah interestingly enough um, I became extremely because uh, I'm a very self-absorbed person normally um, and then when I got cancer I became very much well not the opposite but a lot less self absorbed in the mm. sense i was thinking how am i going to make this as easy as possible for the people that care about me um which i think is probably then what how most people react to that kind of news um so yeah that's kind of what was my, that was my first reaction but things move so fast like i got diagnosed on friday and then i had my uh testicle removed on the monday and i started chemo on thursday so. and did they tell you where it was at like how much it had spread and grown did they know by that stage yeah so 
yeah, we did like a CT scan probably on a Monday or something. And that showed that it had spread all throughout my abdomen and chest. Fuck. So I had tumors. I had like a hundred tumors just in my lungs, which is crazy. Again, like Jeez. I was still like going to gym and, yeah. you know, doing exercise and I was full of cancer. Like, Fuck. so it's crazy to think that you can kind of be that late stage and not know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we. I don't. guess it just goes against our sort of um, idea of what we think cancer is, which we've I don't know where we've even got that from—not from science and research, yeah. but from movies or whatever society says happens when you get cancer. And when you feel like you can still do some stuff, it must have been a shock for them to say that you have a hundred tumors. Hundred percent. Yeah, which I think is really important for people to understand. I mean, you don't want people to be, you know, hypochondriacs and freaking out yeah. all the time, like, "Oh shit, I might have cancer. And I don't know it," but. Um, it's certainly important to understand that, you know, when you that, that sometimes the symptoms are not going to be very, very obvious, and sometimes it might be a culmination of things that, you know, combined lead you to that conclusion. Like yeah. for me, like I had back pain for a while. Mm. Um, I was getting kind of a lot of like little coughs and colds and stuff like that. Um, but not something that you're going to sort of tie in with what's going on until you look at the full picture. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then, like, obviously, when you get the diagnosis, you're like, oh, okay, well, that explains everything. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's important for guys to understand that, yes, like, you could be functioning normally for a very long time but still have, you know, a very serious disease. Um, and so just, you know, checking things are the first sign of it is really important yeah because it's the case with testicular cancer that if you get it early enough they can pretty much lop that nut off and it won't spread and and exactly. your, your prognosis is much better yeah exactly so i mean i think probably most i mean because it's the one of the most curable treatable cancers i think most guys you know notice that their ball gets big they go to the doctor it's removed and uh so long as it hasn't spread yeah, like the lymph nodes or anything like that then you don't have to do chemotherapy or mm. anything you're just good to go and they just monitor you um but with it having spread that much like you, your odds must not have been great no i was told it was about 50 50 yeah so yeah that's kind of pretty scary to to hear yeah and um, straight into surgery straight into surgery so yeah that's what were the they operating they on straight away uh removing my right testicle yeah yeah so we did that first uh and then we started the first cycle of chemotherapy which is called okay. um bep so they weren't operating on any of the tumors no there's no. just too many like yeah you know just they'd be there for fucking Forever. weeks trying to yeah. remove it all so what they do and it's kind of like spread that much that's when they they do chemo yeah um and then what happens is after you do chemo um there's often i mean if you respond well that's great but even if you respond well there's often like still little spots around the place mm. um, and those spots can be like benign and nothing or they can still be like residual cancer so usually the way they do um, testicular cancer is like they'll look at those spots they'll look at them for a while and see if they change if they're changing they'll cut them out mm. so um, overall over the past few years I've had six rounds of surgery um, because you know they've had to do chemo observe remove a couple of spots see where they are you know so I've been uh, I've been racking up. I want to get like one of those cards that you get like from a, a loyalty program. All just right, so I can, yeah, yeah. So you can get your next one free. Yeah, I'm hoping to get the next one <laughs> free. Uh, they do. The cost does rack up. So yeah, it'd be nice to. Anyway, I'll, I'll your ask my health insurance must be looking to get you rid of you. <laughs> I think it's actually one of my favorite things to think about. Is I spent fifteen hundred dollars on health insurance, and I did the maths. I reckon I've cost them maybe 150 grand that feels good that's a good bet oh, 
it's such it's genuinely satisfying yeah. you know what i mean because when i first bought the health insurance i was like oh i'll never use this yeah. here i am you know I've they must just be it. sitting there going this fucking guy again <laughs> you I, my theory is that like because i'm with like, who has a hundred tumors <laughs> <laughs> i've got i'm on a, i'm with australian unity i reckon like in like the boardroom like of the ceo they've got like a picture of me on a dartboard yeah. and they're yeah, destroying yeah, darts yeah, public me. enemy number one at yeah, the top of the board. Yeah. do not insure this piece of shit <laughs> And what sort of impact did it have on your on your partner and on your family? And was that harder than actually going through the chemo and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I do wonder if it's easier to be the person with cancer instead of the person who's watching the loved one with cancer. Mm. I'm not sure what the answer is, but um, I would certainly prefer to be the person with cancer than watching a loved one. That's just my personal view on it. I just think it'd be so hard... You know, I know it was really hard for my, my partner and my parents just watching someone you love, you know, just being so sick and potentially dying. Um, yeah, I don't know, you know, how I would be able to handle that. I don't know how they handled it, but they were pretty amazing, like extremely resilient and optimistic the whole time. And, you know, I've, you know, gathered so much, I think, more respect for, you know, my partner, Amanda, and my parents for the way that they just you know we're always there and we're all never negative or at least never showed it to me like never showed concern or anxiety around me um yeah it was really amazing and was it the attitude of always sort of trying to find a silver lining or laugh at it and try to keep it upbeat as much as possible without faking it obviously but what was the mood like sort of through this whole process yeah surprisingly like we were pretty like upbeat like me the family and my partner like honestly like cracking a lot of jokes about it that's just kind of what i do like that's just how, how i handle everything it's just you know making jokes about it i just think it's maybe the only sane way to respond to those types of situations you know i think it's really hard i didn't want to be someone who became like defined by my cancer if that makes mm. sense yeah. like because um, there's so much more to you and you've, you've achieved all this stuff and there's a lot of um, aspects to your life you didn't want to just be like oh, that's the guy with cancer yeah and I understand the irony of me now like kind of doing shows where I talk about, about having it. cancer and, like, <laughs> yeah, and everyone's yeah, going oh no that's cancer. the cancer guy yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I have completely failed in that regard but, um, but what I mean by not being defined by it I think that a lot of people get an illness and it con- totally consumes their life in the sense that like from the morning they wake up to the, the morning they, the, when they go to bed, they're always thinking about their illness. Um, they have to deal with it constantly or they have a lot of anxiety about it. Yeah. Whereas I kind of try to like be someone who's going through cancer treatment and then still does other things as well. And yeah. like it's not like cancer is my whole day, whole if that makes sense. So like I was doing like, you know, chemo and then like I'd be out, you know, on out of hospital and going out and doing gigs and yeah. writing and working and, and stuff. what do you think that did for you everything yeah it was like so crucial i think i would have been so miserable and depressed if i couldn't work and and gig and do the things i like doing yeah so because then you feel like it's really stopped you being yeah. who you need to be who you want to be 100 mm. percent. i think if it stopped me from doing that then i'd feel like it had won mm. but um and do you think that like, you got a lot of positive energy from that that helped you 
get into remission and keep going? Yeah, look, I'm not, I don't know what the if there's a scientific basis for yeah. like, I'm not sure if laughter well, is the best uh, medicine. You know? I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like chemo was probably more effective for me though. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I'm sure that there's a lot of research on this. I'm not convinced that having a positive mindset means that you're physically going to recover better mm. or faster. I don't know if that's true. But it kept your mind going, though. Yeah, 100%. It just meant I didn't like wallow in depression and anxiety, which was yeah. really helpful. Except for when you could take the piss out of it, which you obviously do well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of, again, that's kind of to find myself in so that yeah, way. How, how did it affect your comedy? Like, how What did you find was funny about going through all this? And the- It's very fun talking about death on stage. Mm. I don't know why. It really just... It, it, Goes straight to the core, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really fun. I really enjoy doing it. And because I'm someone who, you know, faced death and still has to continue to think about that. Um, and we all do to a lesser extent. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, kind of all do, I guess. But um, I guess I have credibility in the sense that I can talk about that and no one can say you shouldn't talk about that. Kind of like the Grim Reaper of comedy. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's that's well, that that should be my my next my next show. You should be that should be your poster cover. Yeah. That'd be mad. I can see that. Um, I really like talking about dark stuff on stage. I don't. I, I think I've always enjoyed doing that. Um, I just think it's really important that people do confront their fears. You know, death or or whatever that is. Mm. Um, Do you think that means that it then controls them less if we have more times where we're able to actually talk about it and laugh about it? Perhaps that sure. makes us better able to cope with it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know I, I can only really talk about my own personal experience. Yeah. Like, you know, I know that me being able to talk about it and laugh about it and share those funny thoughts and experiences with an audience really helped me mentally deal with what I was going through. It kind mm. of made it seem less crazy and less severe and less extreme if that makes sense like if you can joke about something well it can't be that serious yeah here i am joking about it exactly so i think for me that's useful and i know for some people in an audience like i've had lots of cancer survivors come to my shows and for me to talk about death and talk about cancer on stage in a funny way hopefully um you know they've actually said to me afterwards like oh that was really kind of therapeutic sort of yeah i mean i don't want to say therapeutic because that seems like a really wanky thing to say yeah. but it's kind of like but it certainly was an opportunity for them to laugh at their experience which they might not have done for years mm. um so you know psychologically and there's a lot of help. cancer survivors out there or people with cancer you know so many i mean like you know i think that's why I, that's also why like if you talk about cancer on stage at first i thought like Ugh, audiences aren't going to go for this like it's too heavy like no one wants to come to a comedy show and hear about cancer mm. you know but um because there are so many people who have had cancer or who knows someone who's got cancer or whatever, it's so universal and so relatable. Sadly, it's it's very relatable. And as a result, it kind of just seems to resonate and connect. Well, maybe any time that you have material that has a lot of emotion and feeling connected to it, there's like the potential to make it funny. Yeah, for sure. When the stakes are high, it's, yeah. easy. it's easy to make something funny when the stakes are high, if that makes sense. Mm. So like if I'm doing a joke, about dying like the stakes are high in this joke you <laughs> yeah. know what i mean especially so, if, the, if the audience knows like he might actually die <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah sometimes i finish sets by going okay sorry i think that's my time not yeah. like my time i'm just that's the end of my set um and usually people freak out by that but um yeah when the stakes are high in comedy i've learned that's when you have the biggest when you get, create a lot of tension that's when you have the biggest release and therefore yep. the biggest laugh so uh, absolutely, if you create a lot of tension by mentioning the word cancer or dying, then uh, you have that opportunity for a, for a bigger laugh. 
And what did it actually do for your career? Did it, did it, did it actually improve things? Do you know yeah. what? I think it did. Uh, absolutely. I mean, You're I like, that's why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, maybe I'll come back again, all right? Then we can really get my own TV show if it happens again. Back from the dead. Maybe I'll take up smoking. I don't know. Um, no, it's in, I mean, it has in the sense that it's given me something new to talk about and it's given me uh, probably a new audience as well, I think. It's made me better at comedy too just because – it's forced me to write about a really, you know, challenging topic. Mm. And it's like, well, if you can make, if I can make cancer funny, I don't really feel like anything else should be that hard, if that mm. makes sense. So yeah. it gives me a lot of confidence to kind of just tackle any topic now. And so you got through your initial um, phases of chemo and you had a number of surgeries and you got to the point where you're into remission. But was that all still in 2017? Yeah, so basically my timeline was I started chemo in uh, 2017 and then uh, in the middle of 2018, we did another round of chemo because we saw there was still some like residual kind of cancer remaining. Uh, and then I was in remission for about uh, two years. And then middle of last year, 2020, we saw that there was still like cancer was starting to grow back again, which is kind of unexpected. Mm. Usually like if you're kind of clear for two years, like they reckon yeah. you're good. So that was a, uh, yeah, kind of, I felt like I'd been diagnosed again. That was you know, a real awful shock. Um, so yeah, then in July last year or August last year, we started the next, uh, the next phase of chemo, which I just finished up a couple months ago. Mm. And what was the result of that? It's been really good. Like it's been very effective. Um, you, we don't know the, you know, results for another couple of years, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, but the doctors think that they've got it all. So, um, but you know, I've been told that before. So I'm always, you know, it's nice to hear, but you know, I still carry that, you know, little inkling, that little anxiety in the back of my head, which I just try to kind of deal with and control in my day to day. Yeah. And so what has the last sort of year been like for you overall? Cause I guess you're still going through this, but you wouldn't have had, comedy or certainly not being able to go out and yeah. perform so that's your your outlet and where you get a lot of that joy from yeah well i mean actually i mean it sounds crazy but i felt like the world was shut down so it was not the worst time to be going through chemotherapy treatment because <laughs> like well, there was nothing else that was either well, no, was the world's ending so might, <laughs> yeah, as well. I mean, might as well jump on board you know no but it just kind of felt like um it was either be at home and just do nothing because we're all locked down mm. or like go to a hospital and just yeah you know. and really focus on getting through my cancer <laughs> sort of thing yeah exactly so um that was kind of i guess somewhat of a silver lining i didn't really feel like i was missing out on anything by being mm. in hospital for a few months in fact there were lots more people in hospital for a while there yeah as well, so. exactly there was people even worse than me yeah. so i guess you know mentally made it somewhat easier to deal with but uh there was also that you know because when you go through chemo your immune system is compromised so you know, when COVID's going around and you've got a low immune system, that's pretty scary too. Mm. So I was kind of pretty shut off from people for, for months just to make sure I didn't pick up any bugs. And how did you go with that? Are you a bit of an introvert or are you a people person? Surprisingly, I was actually fine. It's weird that like I really like doing comedy and speaking to a crowd, but I'm also like totally fine just kind of like staying home for a few months too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've always been pretty... I don't know what the word is. I'm not sure if introvert is the right word, but like I'm pretty like self-motivating, self-driving, if that makes sense. You like your own company as well? Yeah, I kind of just, yeah, I kind of just like, 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 kind of like myself. (laughs) No, I mean, like, I just kind of enjoy, sometimes I enjoy just being alone with my thoughts and being able to write and... Oh, well, I guess your line of work's very intense as well. And going out and putting those shows on and and traveling often when things are back on. Um, 
sometimes it makes sense that you just want to get some space as well. Oh, 100%, yeah. Mm. Like if you're just out gigging every night and, you know, always being on, it's actually really nice to just kind of be alone sometimes too. How did you go performing when you were going through chemo and you were feeling, obviously it makes you feel pretty sick and Mm. you have to get up there and you can't really have a day off in comedy, I assume, and you're performing on stage for an hour or two. How did you go still bring the energy to it or was it able to sort of become part of the act? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, yeah, definitely like hard because I'd walk on stage and yeah, I'd certainly not be feeling amazing. Mind you, I felt pretty good. Like in between cycles, you actually do tend to feel pretty good. Mm. Um, But it was more that because I looked unwell, I think it was just like, it was a bit jarring for an audience. Like I was, you know, bald and looked pretty pale and, you know, I just looked crook it makes the jokes hit harder though <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it does certainly help some jokes yeah. absolutely but um i would i mean i kind of made the mistake i think at first where like i wouldn't really deal with that on stage like i wouldn't deal with the fact this is how i you wouldn't looked. say that you felt and looked shit yeah, yeah yeah and so and if you don't acknowledge that the audience is kind of like they're really confused they just think right. like is this his make a wish like what do we do here so <laughs> okay. um you kind of have to so i kind of i learned to basically deal with that that was yeah. probably the only real challenge though mm. of doing comedy kind of going through that state to be honest and once you deal with that then the audience is kind of very on board they're very like they're really like they want you to do well yeah and i suppose yeah because it, it takes guts to do it um you know although it is good material and it makes you feel better it still takes balls to go and make light of something like that which is obviously what makes it funny as well yeah they give you yeah the audience does give you a bit of um a bit of leeway and a bit of credit for just being on stage for yeah, sure you need that extra handicap <laughs> yeah i'll take it i'll take what i can get you know <laughs> uh have you ever thought you were gonna die from this Yes. Mm. Um, twice. So the first time when I first got diagnosed, I was like, oh, I'm going to die. Because um, that's what the doctor said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a very, very pessimistic doctor. Just on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to die. Anyway, come tomorrow, we'll chat more about it. Oh, man, that GP was, I don't see him anymore. He was, uh, <laughs> he was actually, I mean, he diagnosed me, but ugh, he was a, not, didn't have very good no bedside, bedside manner. manner yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought I was going to die when I first got diagnosed and I thought I was going to die when it came back in July. Mm. Um, what was that feeling like? It's really scary, particularly when it's like you wonder... Again, like you become very outward looking and I was just thinking, how would my parents handle my death? How would my partner handle my death? Mm. To be honest, like it's not a road you want to go down or think about there's, uh, there's, no, there's no solace at the end of it. So I think I tried to not let myself think about that too much yeah easier said than done yeah 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 um absolutely but um tell you what when you've got i've got a you know like i said my partner's amazing my parents are great and um you know i think they helped me not think about that too much too yeah do you you have some times when it got to you though did you find um yourself sort of in periods of of depression or anxiety from it or anything like do you know what though not i don't think so like i don't think i had anything you would call like clinical or diagnosable depression Mm. or anxiety um i think mentally i was fine throughout it all i mean i always feel like you know we are often quick to medicalize you know people's emotions yeah that makes sense like of course there is such a thing as depression and anxiety and of course those need to be treated i just felt like in my situation like i know what was causing my 
sadness and my anxiety. Yeah, it was and having it was cancer. Be on your control as well. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just a natural organic response to your your environment, isn't yeah. it? So, um, I, I never felt like um, my mental health was kind of, you know compromised to be honest i felt like it was just a natural response and a normal response to my situation there were times where i was offered to to see a psychologist and even my oncologist would say to me like i think you're fine like i don't think you need to see a yeah. psychologist if you are if you want let me know but mm. i don't think you need and i was like i don't think i need either but again like I'm, I'm talking from the perspective of someone who had an amazing support network so sure certainly for people who don't have that support network I mean, and everyone everyone responds else. differently, and it seems like an important thing for you was that you could still live your purpose and you can still go out and do what you wanted yeah. to do, largely with your shows and stuff. So you weren't just sitting there with everything having fallen apart, and you couldn't go on with what you were doing. You, you had the strength to be able to carry on, and the opportunity still to do that, which sounds like it was pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. Again, yeah, if I don't, if I had not been able to do that, then maybe I could have really, you know, descended into, you know, depression, anxiety, but. Um, yeah, fortunately, I don't think I ever got to that point. Mm. What strength do you find in, in laughter personally? Like, What does it do for you and I suppose your idea of yourself? And um... Well, it's just validation, I think. being I think all comedians have this very bizarre kind of paradox of being extremely like egotistical and narcissistic because you kind of have to be to feel like you should be on stage and everyone should listen to you. Yeah. But equally, like, you know, all comedians are also extremely insecure because we are very needy and yeah. desperate You need for... that validation. <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of, I mean, I'm sure there's some deep psychology to it. I'm sure I was probably, you know, damaged as a child in some way. I don't, who knows? But um, I've got that desire, that need for, you know, that kind of validation, I guess. So mm. when I'm on stage and it's going well, then I feel like, oh, great, I'm, I'm validated you know, as a person, uh, which is very unhealthy, by the way. Like, I certainly would not recommend that to anyone. To put your, you know, validation in the hands of strangers is not uh, a healthy way to live your life. So I'm trying to not be like that. And, and just... you must have bombed at some point. Ah, oh, quite a every, lot. Every comedian. Ah, <laughs> oh, quite a lot. Like, in fact, I've never succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> Yet to have a laugh, actually. So um, um, I'm just happy to be here. They really know? don't like the cats material. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you what, the cancer really takes a dive. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's just part of the process. Is Bombing is part of the process of doing comedy. Like, yeah. if you're not bombing, you're not trying anything interesting on you. So um, it's part of the process and just accepting that, you know, if you bomb on stage, like, it's fine. It's just, you know, learn from it and the next one will probably be better. And, you know, it's just every – it's a cycle. How long have you been doing comedy for? Uh, twenty Since I started doing comedy in 2014. So, okay. yeah. yeah, coming up to seven years this year. Um, is that starting late? I don't know. I think like some people start at eighteen, you know, and that's and I wish I did. But then again, if I I start, I was like twenty three when I started. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think oh, I've been would have been good to start at eighteen. I would have been yeah. so much further along. But maybe you wouldn't have known what was funny. Hundred percent to know. Think about what I was like as an eighteen. Yeah, you're probably not cynical enough at, at eighteen. Hopefully. Yeah, I just I would have just an idiot. I mean, all eighteen year olds are just morons, and I was <laughs> the same. So what would I talk about? You know, so yeah. I probably just wasn't ready. My view is like you kind of start comedy when you're ready to start comedy, and for if you're eight, if you're eighteen and you put yourself on stage, well, you were ready to make that decision for yourself then. Yeah. So I kind of just started when it was ready for me. Why Some did, people started why, thirty. Why did you get into it? Were people always saying, "Oh, you're you're pretty funny"? Or did yeah, you like always, always have a? Do you always have a bit of a 
question in your mind if that's something that you might want to do? Or? Yeah, like I just loved going to comedy shows. I was always yeah. like, it was always so much fun for me. And yeah, I was always like the funny guy in the friendship group. Um, so, but and how I, did that translate from making your friends laugh to getting on stage and making people laugh? On? Yeah, I mean, like that's a it's a big jump. You yeah, know? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a much tougher crowd. Yeah. yeah, when they don't know you or like you, yeah. you have to get them to know you and like you pretty quickly. Um, it's a big jump, but um, and it takes probably what maybe maybe two years before you're not awful. I think, so I think which is a lot of rejection to be able to get past isn't it yeah, yeah. I mean because and I think the reason why I started at you know 23 or 24 was because I just was not I'd never really failed in my life in the sense of like I went to school I did well at school I know it sounds like a really shitty thing to say just but undefeated <laughs> <laughs> no but I I, I, I never failed because I never I taken, can't lose <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's more I never failed because I never taken risks right. if that makes sense You've been playing it safe yeah exactly like I kind of went to school and like I did the subjects that I was good at and did well and then I went yep. to uni and I did the stuff that I was good at and did well so I was kind of always doing well but it's just because I was just choosing things that I was so going to do well you wanted to push yourself yeah, and, and comedy was always scary to me because it's like you're probably gonna you're de- well you're definitely gonna fail at it for mm. quite a while before you become even okay. Yep. So I think just that fear of failure stopped me from doing it. And then eventually I was like, well, it's either like fail, you know, on stage or like pursue a career that is gonna make me miserable. Mm. And eventually the fear of like you know being a lawyer like kind of was. <laughs> Oh, you tr- trumped the fear of being on stage. And yeah, I was like, I'm just getting get crickets. Stage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So, um, but I, I'll tell you what: once you kind of liberate yourself from the fear of failure, oh, it's so much better. And how much does that um, change the other aspects of your life? Like when you gain that confidence to be able to get on stage and make people laugh, or even if they don't, you're not going to let it get to you. How did you notice that sort of? Uh, affected you outside of comedy or were you do you very much sort of switch on switch off I try to keep it separate as in like I try to keep like comedy separate from the rest of my life just Mm. because I don't again like I don't want to be defined by like that one thing in my life and I don't want to dominate my whole life whether it's comedy or cancer or whatever yeah but I certainly felt like yeah I I just think that I became a better person once I started doing comedy because yeah once I started failing more I became a lot more humble. I think I was really cocky when I was like in my tw- in my early twenties. As you never failed anything. Before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I was like, "Geez, I'm so I'm fantastic. Like I haven't failed anything." Yeah. So it was really nice. Um, so was that was that humbling doing comedy? Super humbling, yeah. and it also felt it kind of made me feel like I didn't have to always be the best or successful to matter. If that makes sense. Uh-huh. And in fact, if you are, that's not very funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> doesn't help at all if you're no, successful. No one wants to come and see the guy who's like better than them. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah. My early material of, hey, guys, I've never failed at anything yeah, before. It does yeah. not fly yeah, with yeah. the audience. So, yeah, it was interesting to me how, yeah, once I became used to failure and was kind of humbled by that, I think it kind of meant that I wasn't like cocky and arrogant in like other aspects of my life because mm. I was like just getting rejected and beaten down on stage every night so that just kind of it's good for you yeah it's i think well for me it was good i think for some people maybe not but it was good for me and how's your view of life changed um since going through cancer it's interesting like people always expect cancer survivors to have a very deep and profound view on life and i don't think i do i don't think that i've really changed that much from cancer because I think I was kind of 
doing what I wanted in my life anyway before I got cancer. So the fact that I didn't really change anything kind of just confirms to me that I was probably always doing the right thing for me anyway, if that mm. makes sense. Like some people, you know, go through cancer and like I've, I know some people who have been like, they go through cancer and then they afterwards they survive and then they divorce their wife or they change careers or they... Yeah. You're go, already doing that thing that you want. So it sort of reaffirmed that you are on the right path. Yeah, exactly. I felt like I was already doing the thing that I wanted to do. I mean, the fact mm. that I was like, you know, going on stage in between chemo bouts kind of was clear that this is the thing that I enjoy doing Obviously, the most. you really wanted to do it. Yeah. yeah, like if I didn't really want to do it, this is a great excuse not to do it, but I was yeah. still doing it. But so. I know what you mean in that it makes people evaluate their lives and, and think about, okay, what do I need to keep and get rid of? And mm. I need, you know, I'm, I might die tomorrow. I need to go after what I want in life. And you found that, oh, I already am. So that yeah. must that must feel pretty good to know that you're on the right path. Yeah, very satisfying. Because I felt like, because like, like I said, I could, I could have been a lawyer. Like that was kind of like my, meant to be my, my career and everything. Mm, before you disappointed your parents. Yeah, absolutely shattered them. Uh, I'm and not then sure ruined was, their holiday as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not sure what was worse, the cancer diagnosis or me saying I'm, I'm going to be a comedian. Both difficult, difficult times for mum. But I just think that, um, yeah, I just think that I was kind of already on that right track. And had I been like a lawyer... I think I would have been like, oh, I mean, what a nightmare to like having chose a career in law mm. and then to die from cancer. Anyway, geez, that's, a, that's an awful kind of turn of events. So, you know, I think it's nice to remember that, no, you know, <laughs> no matter what you do, you could, you're going to die anyway. So <laughs> might as well do the thing you want to do. all the lawyers out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> there are some bit, my girlfriend's a lawyer and she kind of, she actually does like being a lawyer, but uh, yeah, not for me. Is there going to be a, a day where you're, you're not joking about cancer? Like, can you can you move on past that material, or you just need to get the most out of it now? Is there a certain yeah. amount of years? Sort I'll, of, I'll definitely move on. You're just it. resting on the laurels of that <laughs> that sweet cancer material. Keeps You'll paying. see me in 25 years. So anyway, so uh, I've got cancer. I'm like, no, you don't. Right? That was 25 <laughs> yeah, years yeah. ago. What else have you got? You are cured now, dickhead. Write a new joke. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I actually, I look. You can only write about your own experiences, and so, like in 2019, I did a show that was just about cancer and then last year before covid hit i did a show that was like 10 percent about cancer Mm. and then this year i was planning to not do a show about cancer but then i had this relapse so i've probably got you know another i don't know five ten minutes about having cancer but like i said i don't like to be pigeonholed i feel like i've talked about cancer enough on stage unless i've got something new and interesting to say about it i'm not going to kind of keep talking about it and the show you got this year is 110 percent yeah, that's it. Why have you called it that? And what's what can people expect from that show? Well, I called it 110% because I was like, I'm just going to give, I'm just giving it my all, basically. And it's a mathematical impossibility, but I'm going to attempt to break the laws of science uh, in order to make my audience happy. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a lot of material about obviously COVID and um, a lot of material about, you know, getting diagnosed with cancer again. A lot of material about my, my relationship with my partner and kind of, you know, we've been together for over 10 years. So, you know, getting that tap on the shoulder from her mother, you know, like, so when are you going to... Oh, you're nice? not married yet? No, we're not married. Shit, um, <laughs> so, She's uh, passed the cancer test as well. She's yeah. stuck by you through thick and thin. I like, know, I know. You'd she... be the worst bloke to like, not do it now. <laughs> be brutal, you know, absolutely brutal. Um, so it's a kind of a lot about our relationship. Uh, she features a lot. So I think it's kind of... If and she's like laughing, but she's also like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> She actually came like, I can't propose, it's too funny. <laughs> she actually came along to a gig in, in Melbourne the other week 
and I talked about all this pressure that I'm getting to propose to her and then the audience laughed and then I said uh, the real sad thing is that uh, I've been saying this material for three years now so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty rough <laughs> no so uh, yeah that's kind of what the show but I, I like to in like my shows just take the contrarian position to things so I find that really fun like a lot of like I talk a lot about COVID and stuff and uh, you know feel like everyone was like saying like got to shut down the wet markets and stuff and I just like saying the opposite I like saying no I reckon keep them open I reckon they're great they're cheap you can get a bat for 10 cents you know what I mean so I like doing that in my comedy just like kind of saying you know the wrong thing but you know hopefully people get that it's irony yeah that's pretty classic technique really, yeah isn't it? <laughs> where are you at in your in your life now I'm just trying to be really grateful. Like I'm just trying to, you know, I said that I haven't been changed much by my cancer, but I would like to be changed in a in a positive way. I'd like to be more grateful for the everyday stuff, you know, and I try to be more grateful and remind myself, you know, during the day, just because like, even just like having like a nice meal, like when you're going through chemo, like you can barely eat and mm. you feel like awful. So I'm just trying to take, you know, you know, not take that for granted being able to have like a big breakfast is like yeah. great you know and being able to go on stage no matter what is great even if there's five people and a dog there like who cares even if you're bombing like who cares like you're still you're on stage still, still alive and yeah, still, you're still, still doing there, stuff so, yeah. so i think that's kind of what i'm working on for myself is just constantly reminding myself oh yeah i'm just you know even if you know you're not having the best time right now you should still be grateful for the experience yeah so that's what i'm trying to do have you got a closing message for the fellas about checking their nuts i would say do it i would say um i would say do it and do it early don't wait seven months like i did which was real dumb uh do it and do it early i know it's awkward when you have to go to an old man and say hey can you look at my balls um (laughs) it's i know that's awkward uh but i promise you it's the better outcome yeah. Um, so just make sure to do it. And I think, um, you know, just do it in the shower like once a week or yeah. once every and couple of weeks. And if you've got that one nut, that's definitely getting bigger than the other one. Don't pretend like it was always like that. Yeah, don't wait to be coughing up blood or anything. Just Because uh, it probably be won't happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It probably yeah. won't happen. Just be on top of things. That's my message. If you're a fan of the work we're doing or have a suggestion for the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. You can follow Youngblood Men's Health Matters on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube and visit our website youngbloodmedia.com.au to stay up to date. And most importantly, if this conversation resonated with you, share it with someone you love and start a conversation of your own. A huge thank you to our local business supporters who've joined our mission to change the lives of young men for the better and help make this possible. We're all in it together. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.